You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 432 of this podcast. That was a little selection from Les Chantes des Templiers from the Ensemble Organum and Marcel Perez, a album that was recently shared with me by my neighbor two houses down, J.P. Chavez. Thank you for that, J.P., Really interesting stuff. <laughs> I don't have any of that kind of music in my library otherwise, but it's a fun album. It's essentially, if I understand it right, Chants of the Knights Templar. I think that's what it is. Chant of the Templars is the subtitle in English, and it is uh, definitely evocative. It creates a certain mood. Uh, funny story, I was actually listening to that album the other day when I was getting my old desk taken apart, disassembled. I had had this glass top desk in service, heavy use, heavy, heavy use for 10 years. And it served me well. And now it will serve my wife well as her sewing and computer work and school planning desk downstairs in our we call it the library because that's what we originally called it. It's not really the library anymore, but it's more of a second dining room and a sewing room, if you will. But that desk, I was taking apart the other day because I bought a new desk. And my new desk is much, much nicer in some ways. It's got some features that are fantastic. First and foremost, it has the feature of being able to raise and lower Hydraulically, the three legs of the desk each have a separate hydraulic piston, which you can control the height of with a little keypad on the side that's attached to it. And so where this comes in handy is in my day job as a systems integrator, I'm working 12-hour shifts, sometimes more, sometimes less. It averages out to 12 hours. And I work seven days in a row. And then I'm off for seven days. But even the seven days that I'm on, I'm not just doing the systems integration work. I'm trying to fit in podcasting in the mornings if I wake up ahead of the rest of my family. Also in the evenings, sometimes I have Ingladiae Veritas 
or meetings for the board of directors for the Reformed Conservative, or sometimes I am doing research or I am publishing content to my website, the com. There's just a lot I do at my desk. Truth be told, I pay bills at my desk. I respond to emails and messages at my desk. I stay up on current events at my desk, et cetera, et cetera. I do a lot here. Sometimes occasionally, not so much anymore, but sometimes occasionally I even play games, uh, computer games at my desk, which I probably should do more of because as the saying goes, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. But it was fun. It was really fun. Thanks again, JP. Listening to Chance of the Knights Templar <laughs> as I disassembled my faithful steed, if you will. Uh, you, you almost might compare my desk to a horse. Uh, it is my war horse. And on it is my computer, and my computer is sword, shield, armor, uh, the whole lot. And it's funny to me because I didn't anticipate developing a kind of sentimental attachment to my old desk. Uh, I'm not giving it to Lauren because I don't like it. Actually, there are some things I like better about that desk, truth be told, uh, compared with this one. It has been very resilient, if I may compliment my desk. Uh, it's been very resilient over 10 years of heavy use, particularly given that it's a glass top, uh, tempered, frosted glass. I would have expected at a certain point one of the pieces to break, you know, three separate large glass panels or panes, you know, thick. But still, I've got all of these kids, plus I'm not always the gentlest or the most careful or the most graceful myself. And I've cleaned guns on my desk. I've worked on electronics. I've built computers on my desk. I've done production reports aplenty. I have emailed. I've written letters. I've written blog posts. I've written write-ups and descriptions for podcast episodes. I've argued and debated with people at my desk, all kinds of things. Not all of those were liable to break the glass, but nevertheless, it was for the best to give that desk to Lauren. It's amazing how different it looks with her computer and her sewing machine and her accoutrements on it. She is going to make good use of it, I know, and I'm glad that it's held up so well. It's in such good condition. You know, it's a little scuffed, you know, none of the glass broke, but neither was I extremely careful about putting things that might score the top of the glass on it. You have to look close to see them, I think, but nevertheless, uh, it looks much, much different in her space for her purposes, but it'll serve her well. And this one is uh, kind of a, oh, what do you call it? The, you know, plywood with a veneer, a kind of a rustic wood look, um, you know, that sort of a, a look to it for the top. And so I'm going to have to be more careful using the coasters that my wife bought me for either my birthday or Christmas. I think it was Christmas a few years ago. Uh, I haven't really needed to use them with my glass top desk because I'm not worried about water stains, except, you know, I'll have to wipe them off and clean the desk. But with this one, I'll have to be more careful about that because it's not real wood 
And once this veneer uh, is penetrated and warped and whatnot, like there just really won't be any recovering it. Uh, I'll just have to, you know, get something to cover, um, you know, maybe a, a giant mouse pad or something like that. I've seen that. I've had that other places, but for my health, and I mean physical, mental, emotional health, sitting for prolonged periods is just not. It's just not good. It's not responsible. It's not the best we can do. And this desk happened to be spendier than I should have liked. But on the other hand, I weigh and measure, and I think, how expensive is it if? I'm grouchy and I'm unproductive and I'm unfocused and I'm not feeling well because I'm sitting so much. And how productive is it for me to buy this desk uh, versus just continuing to try and use what I had before that is not quite as good of a fit anymore? Uh, actually, it started, truth be told, started this uh, planning on and then doing the buying of a new desk. Uh, with my wife needing a new desk because we're going to build a new computer for my tech high this coming school year. Uh, we have all these kids and increasingly more and more of them have coursework that they need to do on a computer. And my tech high is a great program. If you're a homeschooler, at least in the state of Colorado, several other states have it as well. You can get access to grant money to encourage STEM uh, for your homeschool kids. Uh, I think you don't have to be homeschooled in order to avail yourself, but at least homeschoolers in the state of Colorado, do yourself a favor and get plugged into that because you can use it to buy science, technology, engineering, and math uh, subscriptions to magazines or services, streaming services online. We used it to pay for Curiosity Stream last year. Uh, also used it, I think, for our Amazon Prime membership, which is pretty cool. You can get it to pay for high-speed internet, which is handy for researching, for doing online coursework. We use teaching textbooks, which is a math curriculum, all online. And then our kids, doesn't really matter which computer they're working at. Everything is stored in the cloud as far as their scores go. My wife can pull up their scores and send a report off to our assessor. So we have to do assessments every other year, I think it is. She handles that, so she's more familiar, but I think that's correct. Uh, we have to do assessments, which means you've got to submit test scores where you have them, and also your coursework and your curriculum and what your lessons plans uh, are for the school year, reading lists and things like that. So teaching textbooks, we need an internet connection for. I also happen to use our high-speed internet for work and for podcasting and for research and things like that. That's great. But it was great for that. Also, we were able to get Legos with the MyTech High funds and piano lessons with the MyTech High funds. I think we'll be able to reimburse Spanish lessons for the kids this coming school year. The oldest four boys are going to take Spanish with several other families from church here locally in Greeley, and that'll be good for all of the above, especially in the state of Colorado. Not so much when I was in high school in Ohio where we just really didn't have much of a Hispanic population. We had a lot of white folk and a lot of black folk in Southern Ohio, not a lot of Hispanic folk. And so I took Spanish because I was supposed to take a foreign language. That was you know, just a requirement. You should take at least some foreign language. But other than figuring out how to 
you know, trade insults with my younger brother in some other language besides English, there really wasn't any practical use to learning a second language in my mind. And so I just never really, I never really carried it forward and put it to much effect. Well, now that we live in Colorado, actually, we know a lot of people who are Hispanic. And everyone that we know, I mean, they speak English as a first language. So it's not necessarily that we need to learn Spanish so we can talk with them or converse with them or whatnot. But there is a lot of there's a lot of Hispanic community here in Colorado that does speak English as a second language and does speak Spanish as either a primary or native tongue uh, or the only language that they know. And so as my sons are growing up, as my daughter is growing up, if they are encountering kids and adults who speak Spanish and they're able to be bilingual and even through a hodgepodge of English and Spanish, converse, communicate, be helpful, build relationships. I think that'll put them in good stead. That'll serve them well. But my tech high, very beneficial in being able to pay for things like that, where otherwise, I'll just be honest, especially with inflation, especially with the economy doing what it is right now, there would be a lot of hand-wringing in situations like yesterday where my wife gets a message from Virginia Rogers at church. Hey, you know, our family and several other families are going to be taking Spanish this coming year. Would you be interested? There's only this many slots left. Would any of your kids be interested in taking Spanish as well with the same group that we're going to be taking Spanish with? And God bless you, Virginia Rogers. Thank you so much for reaching out and letting us know about that because that will be, I think, really, really helpful for our kids to be able to learn Spanish with their friends and be able to talk back and forth. That'll help them to learn it faster and be more engaged, I think. But we didn't have to wring our hands quite so much, knowing that either A, the program Maitakai will pay directly for it, or we'll be able to submit receipts for reimbursement. That is a really, really great thing. And quite honestly, I think what is needed for the state of American education more broadly is more of that. You know, we pay taxes. If we are earning an income, we pay taxes on our income. We pay taxes on the things we purchase. We pay taxes <laughs> on everything. We pay taxes on taxes on taxes. And some of the taxes that we pay go to supporting the public education system. And so what does it look like when increasingly American parents are saying, this is not working for us. This is not serving our children well. We do not want our children to be dependent on the government monopoly on education anymore. We can do this better, especially with modern technology. Being able to do teaching textbooks for math, uh, yes, you should still help your kid with their math when they get stuck. It can't all be done through videos. But if you've got teaching textbooks and you're not really super strong when it comes to math, but teaching textbooks can help your kids get through. And there's lectures, there's lessons, there's quizzes, there's practices, there's exams, and everything is all scored right then and there so that they can quickly see what it is that they need to go back and review right away. Well, boy, howdy, that reduces the barrier to entry and it reduces the amount of intimidation that a lot of parents feel when it comes to educating their kids. But 
if they're still paying taxes that are going to educate other people's kids in the public schools, and they, meanwhile, don't have any recourse to get those monies back to be able to educate their own kids outside of the public schools, it creates exactly the dynamic that we have had where the public schools, especially the teachers' unions, for a long, long time have been able to just stick their tail in the ground and say, well, we're going to do what we think is best for you and your kids. and We don't really care what you think. We're smarter than you are, and you should just shut up and let us handle it. Well, what if that's not compelling and there's nowhere to go with it? Versus what if that's not compelling and you say, I'm actually not going to put up with this. I'm going to send my kid to a charter school. I'm going to send my kid to a private school. I'm going to send my kid to a vocational school. I'm going to homeschool them or do some kind of a blended education, a combination of online coursework and reading great works of literature. Yes, as a conservative homeschooling Christian family, yes, we have our kids read books with content that we can't affirm before God. We have to reject some of the influences in these books, but that's actually, lo and behold, a large part of why our kids should read these books so that they are conversant with people who embrace these ideas uncritically. This actually is part of our job as parents to expose our kids to some of these things in measure with knowledge of where our kids are at, also alongside and subordinate to raising them in the fear and admonition, fear and instruction, fear and encouragement of the Lord. You know, if, if more parents like my wife and I are able to educate our children well, and then they serve as a testimony to the efficacy of home education, and we're able to take some of our tax monies back and use those to train our children well, not just on theology and Bible studies and you know, learning Greek and Hebrew and Latin would be great at some point, but, but not just on things like that. Also, giving our children a Christian education by teaching them how to read well. And I don't just mean, you know, know your alphabet, know your punctuation and your grammar and your spelling. I mean, know how to be conversant in ideas and concepts and know how to think critically. You know, a really great thing that my daughter, I think, has been benefiting from here recently has been our Canon Plus subscription. And I think Canon Plus uh, it's an outlet a streaming service of Canon Press. Canon Plus has some really great resources. I hope they get more and more of the same because I love what they've got up so far. But they're only recently launched in the past several months, I think. And so some of the offerings maybe are not as robust as they will be in the long run. I hope that's the case. Uh, they've got some great resources on there, though, for teaching your kids Latin for one thing, and also teaching your kids logic. Now, if they add the rest of the trivium and the quadrivium uh, as well, if they add resources for all seven of the liberal arts, grammar, logic, rhetoric, arithmetic, geometry, music, astronomy, they are doing a great, great service to parents across this country. And even if, and, and everybody wants to qualify, as soon as you mentioned Doug Wilson, everybody wants to qualify 
where they stand in relation to him. I, I'm sorry. I'm not nearly as embarrassed as a lot of people seem to be. I'm not nearly as squeamish about everything to do with Doug Wilson as most people seem to be. Uh, I love and appreciate his engagement, even when I don't agree with his conclusions, because I think that he is gracious, but not at the expense of being clear. And we need more of that. We may not necessarily need more paid baptism. Uh, I don't know what I think about the federal vision. I don't know what I think about the new perspective on Paul. I'm not inclined to agree, per se, with his stance on those things. But what we do need is more being gracious while also being clear. No less clear for being gracious, no less gracious for being clear. Speaking the truth in gentleness and respect We need more of that. So if the introductory logic course on Canon Plus is a preview of things to come, then I think that's great. Please keep it coming. Please keep it coming. This is a way for you to bless the church in America in a major, major way for generations to come. This is important for generations to come. It really, really is. You know, it... It's interesting to me. I was out for supper, and this actually is the main subject of this podcast episode, by the way. I didn't tell you at the top, but you read the title. If you clicked in, <laughs> you read the title, and you're probably wondering, and at what point are we going to get to what you said this was about? You know, well, we're we're already in it. Actually, uh, we've been in it. We've been in it for some time. <laughs> you just didn't catch it. But I was talking with another father of eight over supper this week, one evening this week. And we were talking about the podcast and I had asked him for some feedback and some advice and some counsel. And I appreciate his honesty. He's, he is always, in my experience, willing to say what he honestly thinks. Uh, at least that's my impression. That's my view. Uh, God knows his heart. He knows his heart. He knows how much he maybe holds back. But I appreciated his honesty and his giving me an answer on ways that he thinks that the podcast could be better and what he thinks is going well, perhaps. And I may have asked the wrong question, but maybe not, uh, where I basically asked, hey, you know, what do you think could be done to make it better? And yes, it's true that I would really love it if this podcast took off and became self-sustaining, and it became a revenue stream where I could do this full-time and quit my day job. Uh, I would really like that. That that is a goal. And yet, this brings us to the title of this episode, it's not worth selling my soul for. Jesus asks at a certain point, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? And the answer to the question is it doesn't, it doesn't profit a man (laughs) to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. It does not. Nothing is worth your soul. And that isn't to say that this podcast being successful is one and the same with selling my soul, but it is to say where I have seen others make major compromises in their way of relating to the truth and to others 
to try and get famous and maybe by extension to get wealthy, but you know, maybe the wealth thing is not as important as being famous, getting attention, being remembered, being known by the world, going down in history for something. I am not willing to do that. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. I should rather be obscure than infamous. And I should rather keep silent than speak and gain a following and mislead people. See, that's the trouble. (laughs) If you get too successful along the wrong lines, but you stop paying attention to what God says are the marks of success. And where this relates to Canon Plus and why I'm so pleased that they've got introductory logic on there, which I've been going through in the evenings. I brush my daughter's hair in the evenings. Lauren typically is doing pre-reading for school and nursing our youngest, Andrew, in the armchair next to my desk. And Evelyn will come in as part of her bedtime routine, brushes her teeth. Her brothers go down to the basement where their bedrooms are. And Evelyn will bring me the hairbrush and the detangling spray. And here lately, since we got Canon Plus, uh, we, we you know paid for a Canon Plus subscription and started exploring it, we've been watching the introductory logic videos. And they're not long. Most of them are maybe 10 to 15 minutes long so far. But we're watching these, and she's eight. But however much she picks up at eight is great. <laughs> and you know it's true because it rhymes. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's not wrong. Maybe that's not logical. Maybe we need more introductory logic. But nevertheless, my point is that that is success. That That is my view of success. If my eight-year-old daughter is learning logic right now. And I'm not talking about a prestige uh, project. I'm not talking about I get bragging rights to you about my daughter learning logic. No, I mean when she's 28, but she learned logic when she was eight. When she's 28 and nobody necessarily knows that this was the routine in the evenings when she was a little girl, unless she tells them, they just know that she is well-spoken, she is calm, she is matter-of-fact, she's honest, she makes good decisions. She, you know, <laughs> as I was talking here uh, several episodes ago, pointing out with regards to feminism that Proverbs describes both wisdom and folly as women. You know, the feminists say, ah, yes, wisdom is a woman. You know, and the rejoinder is, well, yeah, but so is folly, right? Like, <laughs> which woman are you? Uh, adjacent to wisdom or folly. Uh, You know, insofar as we read excellent women in the text, giving good advice, giving sound principles as reminders to their husbands, to their sons, to their daughters, to their sisters, to their neighbors, that will take a little bit of investment. And by investment, I mean time, attention, care, Maybe a little bit of money, but it's not actually all that expensive when it comes to money to sit down and teach logic, pay close attention to it. But that is success. If my daughters learn logic 
I say daughters. I have one daughter. People ask, though, if we're done having kids. And I would refer you to the good Lord with that question. We're only 35, for crying out loud. But if my daughter, and Lord willing, a future daughter who we don't have yet, if my daughter learns logic and two of my sons are up in Montana right now with their grandpa as, uh, I told them, a kind of emissary or envoy to the rest of the extended mullet family up there, you know, and they come back and we have some good conversations about what they learned and what they saw and what they heard. And I can teach them to be intentional in their analyzing and assessing and investing themselves in relationships and how they see themselves and how they see God and how they see one another and how they treat people and how they regard opportunities in life. Well, that's success. If I can podcast here, not instead of investing in my children, but as a way of investing in my children, if this is a legacy project where, you know, I I hate to give this example because it's not a happy example necessarily, at least not at first blush, but if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, what memory will my youngest son Andrew have of me? There's actually an answer to that question because I have taken the time to record all these podcast episodes in 10 years, in 20 years, Lord willing, provided they don't get removed from the internet because the crazy radical left does a purge of my website, my podcast. And provided that doesn't happen, my son Andrew will be able to go back through and listen to my podcast. And maybe he won't listen to every episode, maybe he will, but he'll be able to go through and see, ah, what did dad say about this? I wonder what he had to say about that. You know, it's funny, uh, (laughs) this great movie, I think it's great, Interstellar, directed by Christopher Nolan, features these just really, really like heartbreaking, heartwarming, moving scenes in which the main character played by Matthew McConaughey undertakes this mission to find a new home for humanity because something is wrong with Earth. Earth is being destroyed. And he doesn't do it because he wants the glory. He doesn't do it because he wants the credit. He does it because he loves his kids. And he wants them to endure. And so what he does is he he undertakes this mission that essentially will mean he may never see them again. He loves them. And so he goes out into the blackness and emptiness of space with a crew to try and find a new home for humanity. And he goes out there, and it's a great movie, you should watch it, but he's sending messages back home to his children and trying to talk with them and trying to tell them how much he loves them and how much he cares for them and why he's doing this thing. And something happens to where time passes him by and he's on the other side of space. (laughs) Space is not what connects us, by the way, but he's on the other side of space. And he is belatedly getting messages from the decades that have passed since he left, since he set out. But he, decades haven't passed for him, really. And one of the things that's just so moving is 
as he realizes what all has happened and what's at stake, it it drives him to do what is needed to fix the problem. So then, with this podcasting business, a question was raised, which has been bothering me, and it wasn't asked to bother me, but it bothers me, and I want to address it not in a argumentative way, not in a self-justifying way, but in the interest of being clear and gracious, because truth and grace are not opposites. I don't podcast and I don't read the books that I do instead of investing in my family. I podcast and I read the books that I do because I love my family. What sort of a country are my sons and my daughter inheriting? And do I bear any responsibility for seeing to it that the answer to that question is something other than a post-apocalyptic hellscape? Do I bear any responsibility to read Polybius with a view to leaving a godly inheritance to my children and my children's children? Do I have some responsibility to study God's word and to apply it to every sphere of life? Do I bear some responsibility to learn to communicate the truth clearly with gentleness and respect, but no less clearly just for being gentle and respectful? Do I have a responsibility before God to learn grammar, logic, rhetoric, arithmetic, geometry, music, astronomy, right alongside my children as I'm helping them to learn these subjects? And to be clear, my grammar is already pretty good, despite how I feel sometimes when I catch a typo. Good gravy, what in the world? My logic is pretty good, but it can be better if I'm watching these videos, this introductory logic course with my eight-year-old daughter. My rhetoric is pretty good, but it could be better. How's my math? How's my geometry? How's my music? How's my astronomy? Better if I'm studying diligently. And not just studying, because here's the trouble with, I think, a lot of what passes for education. We fill our minds with facts, and we don't metabolize those facts. And that is the difference between knowledge and understanding. That is the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom is not trivia. And that is the trouble with people thinking that all this reading is just to be able to show off how smart one is. No, it is not trivia to read Polybius if the end goal is to teach your children history and statesmanship. If the end goal is to teach your children how to be good stewards of their civic duties. If the end goal is to teach your children that they have civic duties, despite what many neo-Anabaptists might claim. Here was another interesting resource that JP shared with me this week, which I only just finished reading this morning. But it's a blog post by a Mark Tooley at Juicy Ecumenism the Institute on Religion and Democracy's blog. He wrote this piece on the 4th of July this year. Quote, There's always controversy about Christianity's attitude to July 4. Some liberals and neo-Anabaptists have long warned against enthusiastic, if any, celebration. 
The latter claim Christians should be indifferent to nation-states. The former see America as too wicked to honor. Conservative Christians are often accused of idolatrous excessive celebration. Allegations of Christian nationalism are common in recent years. And I spoke to this on my episode I published on Independence Day. I was raised in part by a father who had been raised himself as a Mennonite. And he had been raised through the 60s and the 70s watching the Mennonite church in America not just condemn law enforcement and military action because they are Mennonites after all. This is not a new innovation. It's not novel that they are opposed to Christians serving in law enforcement or serving in the military. Whatever just criticisms could be leveled at the handling of the Vietnam conflict, for instance, the Mennonites are in principle opposed to Christians going off to war generally, and they have been for 500 years. That should be acknowledged up front. But my dad grappled with this and was not comfortable with the biblicality of the argument. Yeah, but what about Romans 13, where it says that God institutes governing authorities to reward those who do good, to punish those who do evil? Not to be a terror to those who do good, but to reward those who do good and to punish those who do evil. What about Romans 13, where it says, he does not bear the sword for nothing? He does not bear the sword for nothing means that he does bear the sword for something. It's a double negative. And the fact that we're being told about this, that alone tells us that we do have some kind of a civic duty and that these things are not secular as you've been told, as you've been brainwashed to believe. These things are not outside of God's sovereign rule and reign. Now, they are not to be confused with the ecclesiastical They are separate and distinct, but they are not so separate and distinct that you have to pick one. To give you an analogy, I would say my responsibility on this podcast is separate and distinct from my responsibility to my family more broadly, but it is not so separate and distinct that for me to podcast is instead of loving my family well, leading my family well, investing in them, being accessible to them. Actually, my answer to the question, and it was, I think, an honest, genuine question asked of me, my answer to the question of whether I'm accessible to my family, to my wife and my children, given how much I read and how many podcast episodes I record and publish, my answer to the question is, yes, I am more accessible, arguably, than almost any man I know. I am more accessible to my wife and my children than almost any man I know is accessible to his wife and children. 5 a.m., I wake up and I start reading, studying, meditating, contemplating, organizing the information, metabolizing it, and then trying to do something productive with it by way of persuading my countrymen, my family, my friends, to know truth, to choose what is good, to choose life, to fear God and keep his commandments, to trust in the Lord, to acknowledge him in all our ways, in all our ways. That means also the civil duties that we do have. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make straight your paths. Not on your own understanding doesn't mean be a know-nothing. It means don't be 
hubristic. Don't be puffed up. Don't be conceited. Don't be arrogant. So what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? I think in my context, with regards to this podcast, I would like it very much if it took off and it was super popular. That would be cool. But the terms matter. You know, there's this question of the ends justifying the means, which comes up again and again, all the time. Whenever you study history or you study politics, study philosophy, do the ends justify the means? Well, actually, about that, the means you employ will change the ends you reach, period. That's the point. That's the point. The means you employ will change the ends you reach. You have to know that. That is what is meant by the question of what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? That's what's meant. That the means employed will change the ends. And this is also where we do well to work hard, to study diligently, to always be prepared to give an answer of the reason for the hope that lies within us, but to do so with gentleness and respect towards anyone who asks us. Anyone, Christian, non-Christian, it doesn't matter. Right now I am conspicuously ignoring a troll who has decided he wants to draw me in. And I thought by now my answers would have settled the question, but he has an insatiable appetite, it would appear, to abuse me. And I'm not going to reply anymore. If he listens, Club Schadenfreude, Snow Leopard Val, Val for short, if you're listening, stop it. Come back when you're ready to be an honest participant in a discussion, which is important. That's why I replied to you so far. But if you're just here to abuse me, thank you next. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord splits you. You can show yourself out. That I don't have time for. That is not what I'm here for. I am not here to feed the trolls, and I'm not here to obsess over villains and bad actors, but I am here to confront bullies and to correct falsehoods and to encourage us all to think carefully, to be reasonable. Let your reasonableness be known to all. Yes, you could to some extent let it be known by being quiet, never saying anything, never talking. You can't say something untrue if you just never talk at all. Yes, but then you're burying your talent in a field. What was that parable about anyways? It was about God having given you certain things, blessed you, certain abilities, resources, opportunities, relationships, a time to live, a season, He blessed you. He gave those to you. He entrusted them to you. And the parable of the talents concludes that burying what God has given you in the field instead of investing it earns a rebuke from the Lord. But again, again, the ends do not justify the means. The ends decide and determine what means are acceptable. Here are my ends chiefly to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter now into your place of rest. And boy, howdy, does that sound sweet. (laughs) Some people fantasize about what they'll do in retirement. I'm fantasizing about what I'll do in eternity. And I think it's going to be wonderful. I think it's going to be glorious. And God isn't going to have me sitting on a cloud 
in a toga playing a harp forever. Actually, I think for some idea of what eternity will be like, we can look at what God's creation here and now says about him and his intentions for us and how he made us and what he made us for. Maybe it'll be like interstellar, except without the tears, without the crazy evil maniac on some alien planet trying to murder you. None of that. But maybe the space exploration thing. In eternity, maybe we build spaceships and we go and terraform other planets and colonize them and build civilization out into the stars by God's grace. Maybe. Who knows? God knows. Yet we're assured we can't even imagine. So it has to be better than the unimaginative tropes, which are more common to our conversations. I got a little bit of pushback actually talking with my cousin once upon a time about what heaven will be like. Or maybe it wasn't my cousin, actually. Maybe it was my neighbor two houses down. I'll call him my cousin. JP, you're an honorary cousin. How about that? (laughs) But I had said something about how you know, an eternal church service, that doesn't sound like my idea of a good time. He says, oh man, I love church. I think that sounds great. I'm like, yes, but but if that's all it is for eternity, I don't think that's, I, I just, I don't, I don't see any reason in the text to suppose that that's all God intends. What if Monday through Friday, we're working on a spaceship? You know, like, uh, is it Lenny from the Lego movie? he's so excited to build a spaceship so excited he keeps thinking he will get to make a spaceship and then they tell him no and then he like it's just crestfallen and then finally towards the end of the movie it's like yes lenny you can build a spaceship and he just like freaks out like he loses his mind in happiness and then he builds a spaceship (laughs) And tears it up with the uh, micromanagers. Great movie, by the way. Better than Interstellar, actually, truth be told. But maybe Eternity is kind of like the Lego movie and Interstellar, kind of, sort of, but cleaned up. And you're in the spaceship and you're out there exploring by God's grace. And you have a church service on the moon. Who knows? I'm not claiming that. I'm not claiming that's what is going to happen. Hold your horses, everybody. But I am saying, I think we do well to have more of an imagination about what God's purposes and plans are. There is a unhealthiness, and I think even an unholiness, to the fatalism, which I have heard so often, which is just sure we are headed invariably for a post-apocalyptic short term. And maybe we are, but are we better equipped, better prepared to enter into that if by God's grace, according to his purposes, that is what is just around the corner with the recession and all this craziness with Russia and ICBMs and all the rest. Are we better prepared to go into that having such a dark, bleak, pessimistic view of what God's plans and purposes are in the long run? You know, I was talking with a coworker of mine here recently, Alex Cassetta. Alex, I love you. (laughs) 
But we were talking about eschatology and how we just haven't really gotten into it, either of us. And he could finish my sentences and I could finish his about how weary we are of the arguing and bickering about eschatology, which we have observed in others. And if not for that, maybe we would want to study the topic more. But because of it, there's a fear almost that if we study it, we're also going to get sucked into these arguments and these fights and these disputes, which are ungodly frankly, and abusive and unnecessary. The fact is we don't know for sure. We can read and maybe even be very confident that we have a closer idea than other people what end times prophecy will be fulfilled like and when or what has already been or what has yet to be or what's just about to be or what is being right now fulfilled. But here's the trouble, right? Here is the pickle of it. George, this is a pickle. For us to assume by default the eschatology of books and movies like Left Behind is correct, the sky is falling chicken little approach to training and discipling our children, I think, suffers. Loving and leading our wives suffers. And I don't want to get into the Jordan Hall thing anymore, uh, honestly. <laughs> Actually, that was a large part of why I recorded this episode. Actually, to answer your question, Travis, from the other night about, you know, what what are my goals and what does me talking about getting a new desk have to do with them? And why am I talking about vasectomies now? Well, I'll tell you. I will tell you what those things have to do with the big idea. We need to take every thought captive. And here's the question. Here's the rejoinder. Not to be argumentative, but... To clarify my position, every thought means, yes, our thoughts on vasectomies. Yes, our thoughts on our new desk. Yes, our thoughts on space travel. Yes, our thoughts on the Lego movie. Yes, our thoughts on Christianity in July 4 controversy by Mark Tooley at Juicy Ecumenism. Yes, our thoughts on Protestia and Jordan Hall. Yes, our thoughts on the abortion debate. You know, I, I, I alluded to this... <laughs> I alluded to this in a recent episode. I'd love to do more actually digging into this question soon because I think maybe my passing remarks have been too flippant and have not been clear enough or helpful enough because they haven't been careful or expansive enough. But there was this great Jordan B. Cooper and Gavin Ortland discussion that I watched on baptism. Actually, it was a couple of different discussions that they had on baptism. One was on Gavin Ortland's channel. The other one was on Jordan B. Cooper's channel. And one of them is a Lutheran minister with a PhD. The other is a Baptist minister with a PhD. And both of them had a great conversation. I, I, would, act, I, actually, <laughs> I would actually put this conversation between them in the same category as Doug Wilson and John Piper, going back and forth about what tone we should be adopting when talking about social commentary, political commentary, et cetera, et cetera. What tone is correct. I love that they disagreed and I love that they disagreed in a cordial way, not saying these things do not matter, but neither taking the other option, which is not the only other option and saying, because these things matter, therefore I have some kind of a license to abuse you and anyone else like you and everyone else who doesn't agree with me. 
I love that, and we need more of that, desperately. We cannot hope for a revival of Christian virtue in government or in our corporations or in popular culture unless we get more of that revival in the church. And the know-nothings need to repent of their know-nothingism and their burying of talents and fields. And some of these polemics who have, and I, I say they are polemics, they would say that they're engaging in polemics. I would say that they are polemics. They are attacks embodied. And they need to repent of that. There should be more to you than just polemics. And that is part of why I talk about my desk. And yes, vasectomies, which I will never get one. To quote Wesley from The Princess Bride, death first. <laughs> and that's why I quote The Princess Bride. Because I think we need to be whole people. And for too long... These folks over here have said, oh, no, 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 you can't be a whole person in this way or I'm going to attack you. And these people over here have said, oh, no, you can't be a whole person in this other way or I'm going to attack you. And you know what? Come at me, bro. Like, I am tired of the circular firing squad of everything being worth outrage and canceling and attacking and destroying people and not enough of us being willing to have honest conversations like Jordan B. Cooper and Gavin Ortland had about infant baptism and baptismal regeneration. I'm tired of us not being able to have conversations like Doug Wilson and John Piper had about his tone. You know, try this on for size. Ecumenism, I'm not sold on in large part because I think the ecumenical movement is of a piece with globalism. From what little I've researched, and I need to read more, I'm not making an accusation against all ecumenicals, but from what little I've read, I think it is of a piece with what R.R. Reno writes about in Return of the Strong Gods. And I think that that has been very deleterious. I think it's been very corrosive to the health of our families, the health of our souls, the health of our churches, the health of our corporations, the health of our political institutions. I think globalism has been very corrosive. Now, there's a sense in which you could take, for instance, Mark Tooley's piece here about American exceptionalism, essentially, and he makes a compelling argument about anti-Americanism, and you don't have a corresponding anti-other great powers like you do anti-Americanism. But that's in part because we make this claim that these are universal principles. Oh, how dare you? Uh, you know, The Chinese Communist Party feels threatened by that if we say these are universal principles, that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. First, we have to understand that and grasp that. And at a certain point, too, you have to say, not my circus, not my monkey, about some of these other issues. But on the other hand, we have to think rightly about them, right? So there's a need for diligence and there is a need for community. That's, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking to myself here, again, about the conversation I had with Travis Polk, which was a great conversation. I love I love you dearly, Travis. If you're listening, I love you dearly. I really, really do. In part because we can have very honest, direct disagreement. Also, by the way, as a quick aside, I love that you described me as an alpha male and said that some people are threatened by me because I'm an alpha male. I, of course, do not identify as an alpha male. I identify as a sigma male, which I am told I have on good authority is even better than an alpha male. I kid. Joking. I'm joking. I make fun of the sigma male 
thing because I think it's <laughs> I think it's uh, juvenile actually. <laughs> Uh, anyway, but the conversation that Travis and I had about the podcast and this talking about like, okay, what are your goals here? Right. Cause I asked his input and his advice and he asked me what my goals were. Like, what are you wanting to accomplish here? And yes, as a minimum, as a bare minimum floor and threshold, I do want my understanding to be better. I do want my ability to communicate, to be improved through practice, I like batting practice, right? I used to play baseball. You do batting practice because you don't want to learn in the game how to swing a bat and hit a ball out of the park. You want to learn that in the days and weeks and months prior to the game so that when you step up to the plate, you're ready. It's muscle memory. You know what you're doing. But I don't just want that. If all I wanted was that, I could record all of these podcast episodes and I could just save them to my hard drive and listen to them and then delete them. I don't want just that. I want that as a minimum. And that is also part of why I'm not prepared to compromise my principles in podcasting. If my conviction as the spirit leads, and yes, maybe that makes me sound a little bit like a charismatic, I'm not trying to sound like a charismatic, but neither am I going to try so hard to not sound like a charismatic that I'm throwing out biblical language, which is part of all scripture and the whole counsel of God. The undertaking of this project was not on the presumption that I had it all figured out, that I know everything. My talking about everything does not mean that I know everything. Nor either was the objective to, at the end of it, be able to say, now I know everything. I didn't know everything, but now I do because I talk about everything. Well, I know more, right? I know more than I did before, but I'm still a finite creature. By God's grace, that's okay. But I feel a kinship to Martin Lloyd-Jones when he is explaining in the introduction to the Sermons on the Mount sermon series. Studies in the Sermon on the Mount is the name of the collection of sermons by him. He explains that he had a very strong impression, which he believes was the Holy Spirit, impressing on him that he needed to preach through the Sermon on the Mount. And as he wondered at that guiding of God's Holy Spirit within him as a believer, what might have been a contributing factor in God drawing him, compelling him even to preach through the Sermon on the Mount as he considers these things in his heart. Lord, why do you want me to do this? I'm not questioning. I'm not arguing. I'm not challenging. I'm just wondering what the reason is. What purpose do you have for this? What might be your reason, Lord, that you want to accomplish a good thing hereby so that I can do this thing in a diligent, mindful, intentional way because I am a finite creature. He comes to the conclusion that the condition of the church in his day is one of marked superficiality. And again, this goes back to what Jordan B. Cooper and Gavin Ortland were talking about, where some say we shouldn't get into baptism because we should focus on the gospel. And the pushback from these two PhDs who are in agreement, and I agree with them as well, whether I have a PhD or I don't. The pushback is all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. All scripture is the gospel after a fashion. Baptism is a gospel issue. Now that may not mean what some of us think it means, whereby we say it's a gospel issue. Therefore, you're saying if we disagree about baptism, well, then some of us are Christians and some of us aren't. 
No. But it's a gospel issue in the sense that this is part of the good news that God has given us his word that we are supposed to study diligently and rightly divide and rightly handle that we might not be ashamed. And some of us should be ashamed of our handling of God's word. And that is not just true of the continuationists and the charismatics and the Pentecostals. That is also sometimes as much or more true of the Reformed and the very theologically conservative as they see it. The test is when we come to a tricky passage, do we puff out our chests and are we abusing others on the claim that God's pleased by that? That's a service to God. Read it again. No. What I'm not saying is we need to be Phil Vischer wannabes. It's all veggie tales from here. Doug Wilson was correct. I take Doug Wilson's position as my own, and I took it before he had said it or before I knew he had said it because I was raised falling asleep as a child, my dad reading the Bible to my brother and I. I was raised that you go to God's Word and you read that, and that is our authority for life and doctrine. And in God's Word, I see some hard words, but I don't see abuse justifying itself because sometimes hard words are necessary. You don't relish causing someone else discomfort just because sometimes you have to. If you do, then something is warped in your heart and your mind and you need help. You need Jesus. You need accountability in a local body of believers. You need forgiveness from God Almighty because you've sinned against him first and foremost. Against you only have I sinned, David cries out in the Psalms. And that isn't to say he didn't owe apologies to people he had actually hurt, but it is to say, first and foremost, who he had sinned against was God Almighty. And that is important for our handling of the truth. And that doesn't mean we're always going to get it right or else we should be quiet because some of this we have to work out in real time. And some of this we need to accept the answer that Paul gets from God when he asks God to remove the thorn in his flesh, which we don't know. We can speculate, you can guess, you can say you think it was this or that, or it was a health condition, or you can say you think it was a sexual temptation, you can say you think it's whatever. It doesn't say in the text, and that must be because we don't need to know. It doesn't say in the text, because the point is not what his thorn in the flesh was. The point is God's answer to his asking for a removal of the thorn in the flesh. The point is God's answer. My grace is sufficient for thee. My grace is sufficient for thee. If God's grace is sufficient for us, that is the truth. It's not all there is to the truth because some of his grace is that he gives us civil authorities. Part of his grace is that he sends his reins on the just and the unjust. Part of his grace is that we get to train up our children in the fear and admonishment, instruction, encouragement of the Lord. Part of his grace is that we do have liberty to engage in our civic duties, which we do have, especially we Americans. Change my mind if you think otherwise, but you'd have to be correct. And I don't believe that you are if you disagree, if you insist otherwise. What I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to be accessible to my family. And also I'm trying to encourage others likewise Because far too many go chasing after the fame and the fortune and being important because they got this big title. And I'm not accusing people who happen to get really great titles. It would be wrong. It would be wicked of me to say, Jordan B. Cooper, Gavin Ortland, you guys have PhDs. I rebuke you, right? 
that would be wicked of me and very presumptuous. But far too many of us are chasing prestige. If you pursued a PhD because you love God and you're investing your talents, then praise God for that. Now, I still think it's a case by case. And in the majority of cases I can think of, it's too easy for us to reach for higher education, not because we learn so much more that way than we could have listening to audiobooks, doing what I do. That's part of why I'm doing what I do, by the way, also, lo and behold. This is actually part of me homeschooling my kids. True story. This is also part of me encouraging others to homeschool because I was homeschooled growing up. Who's doing this? Discipline equals freedom. If I am disciplined and I wake up at five in the morning, and that is a good example to my kids, most of whom are still asleep two or three hours later, if I'm being a good example to them, I am loving and serving them well. And I'll be truthful with you. I do give them a hard time and my wife if they get really far behind and are not listening to my podcast episodes in large part because besides just wanting to reap a personal benefit, I want to love and serve them well when they listen to these podcast episodes. I want them to be encouraged, to be challenged, to be informed. I want them to be happier, healthier, holier people for listening to this and for it making them think and making them conversant. They will have much better lives and everyone in their circle. My children's children will get a godly inheritance hereby in a way that only the good Lord knows whether or not we'll be accompanied by some kind of a financial inheritance. We work and we trust the good Lord. And we mind our own business, yes, but we do well to consider what all is our business, don't we? So in closing, to be very, very clear, I really, really love and appreciate Travis Polk, J.P. Chavez for not just encouragement directly, but also encouragement to think and to be intentional about what I'm doing with this podcast, sending me links, sending me articles, sending me Knights Templar chant music, which is awesome, by the way. It makes me want to hang a broadsword on the wall over here above my bookshelf so I can listen to that music. I, mean, I, I need a bunch of candles and I need a giant antique crucifix to hang on the wall. And I need a whetstone and uh, a broadsword. So if anybody can make that happen, that would be awesome. I'll listen to that music while I sharpen my broadsword and listen to Polybius, I guess. <laughs> I love and appreciate the fact that I have men in my circle who can ask hard questions and who can engage me on these questions of how best can we serve the Lord and her families and the church. And yes, Jeremiah 29, verse 7, seek the welfare of the city to which Yahweh your God has brought you in your exile. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. One of my cousins, who I haven't spoken with for years, commented on a post I made to Facebook. And I don't know that she meant anything by it to be critical, that is, to criticize me, more to the point, but her question was, well, what about people who are always talking about what's going on with the political situation, but they never talk about the gospel. They never share the gospel with anybody. They should be winning souls for Jesus instead of talking about politics. And to that I say, it's not either or. Paul writes to Timothy 
that a man who does not provide for the needs of his household is worse than an unbeliever. What does my family need? What does my household need? By this podcast endeavor, I am in part, not in whole, but in part, seeking to provide for the needs of my household. But I'm seeking to do that in a long-term way with the talents that God has given me. I don't have all of the spiritual gifts and I don't have all of the talents. I don't have all the resources in the world, but I do have this microphone and I do have this computer and I do have this super cool standing desk now. And I do have a broadband internet connection. I'm thinking about upgrading to fiber, by the way, but that's a story for another day. The point being, with what God has given to me, that's what I'm doing here. If it reaches my wife and my children, then by extension, it will have reached a great many other people besides. And that's enough for me if the good Lord doesn't bless it any further than that. That's okay with me. I would prefer that, actually, than for everyone to know my name and my home is in tatters. My marriage is in shambles. My children are forlorn. Now try this on for size. I've got eight kids. Whether God gives us more in the future is known to him, but we have eight. I want at least these eight. <laughs> People ask, how many are you going to have? And I say, well, at least eight. Well, yeah, but are you like, are you done? Well, I don't know. For right this second. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what else to tell you, except I do not plan on getting myself the Bob Barker treatment. And yes, that will upset some people. And oh, well, I didn't say it to upset you. Trying to keep a sense of humor here, guys. No offense. But I have eight kids. And increasingly, as my sons get older, it, I actually, I love this. And I can't talk about it with you on the podcast in any detail because it would embarrass my children to no end. But increasingly, our sons in particular, not so much our daughter, but our sons have young ladies who have caught their eye or whose eyes they've caught. And my wife and I are not going to wait until our children are 35 years old and have a 2,000 square foot house in the nicest part of town and are directors of international missions boards and things like that, we're not going to wait until then to start thinking about, hmm, I wonder how that would work if they got married someday. I wonder how that would work if they ended up being our daughter-in-law or if that girl's parents ended up being our son's parents-in-law. We're not waiting until they're 35, like we're 35, because by then they'll probably already be married with eight kids. I mean, maybe. That's between them and the good Lord, but could be. I'm 35. We have eight kids. We've been all over the countryside. And yes, it's up to the good Lord to know what will be done there and what his plans and purposes are. But I believe firmly that part of his plans and purposes are that we are intentional about this right now. It is not either or, ladies and gentlemen. And I don't talk about these things with my wife. <laughs> I don't talk about these things with my wife instead of talking about how much we love Jesus. I talk about these things with my wife because we love Jesus, because we want to honor our maker in how we steward our parenting. Now, here's the thing. Who my children end up marrying, to my mind, is more important, will be more impactful in the long run than 
whether they get an advanced degree from prestigious universities. Who they marry will be more important to their happiness, health, success, longevity, well-being than what they do for a living someday. But if I can reach my sons and my daughter, if I can love my wife well and lead my children well, and then they get married, seven sons, get that, seven sons, they all get married and they train up their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Well, now my sons are a blessing to seven daughters, probably from seven other families. And my seven sons are a blessing to the families of their wives. And if they each have, let's say, eight kids, do you realize, do you realize how many I might reach in another 35 years? Just that way. Somebody asks me what success looks like with this podcast. That's what success looks like to me. Not fame, not everybody knowing my name, not everybody speaking well of me. Actually, the scriptures say, beware when all men speak well of you. Beware, watch out. That actually may be judgment. Because if you, <laughs> if they had the guts or the sense to tell you that you're mistaken on some things, that would demonstrate greater love and care for you. Somebody disagrees with me or contradicts me or says, I think you're wrong in this. I think you really need to reconsider that. If it's my neighbor two houses down, J.P. Chavez, if it's my cousin, Micah Hirschberger up in Sydney, you know, we had a great conversation the other day. Actually, I think it was just yesterday. We were talking about some of the responses so far to Jordan Hall's situation from A.D. Robles, John Harris, David Morrell over at Protestia, Chris Roseborough, Justin Peters, Phil Johnson. And yes, we are, I wouldn't even say angry. I, I'm not anyways. I'm not angry at the responses. I'm sad. I am sad about them because this is not going to go well for them. And that's because of their choices, because of their engagement. But I'm talking with my cousin about this whole thing, some other conversations I've had with others. He told me this. He says, you know, you and I disagree on some important things. And we've disagreed for a long time on some important things. And we disagree strongly, actually, even. And nevertheless, I know anytime I call you to ask your advice on something, I know that you're going to give me your honest opinion. I know that you're not going to sugarcoat it. I know that you're not going to leave important things out. And I know that my thinking is going to be sharpened by your having challenged me on some of my assumptions. The first to state his case seems correct until the other comes and examines him. And that's our friendship, not just that he is a cousin or blood relations. What's that? There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. As a friend, as someone invested in his well-being, happiness, success, I'll give him my honest opinion. And that's what it is. It, it is my opinion. And that doesn't mean it's worthless, just as it doesn't mean that it's thus saith the Lord. It is not infallible, but hopefully it will be valuable. That's what I'm trying to accomplish with this podcast. That's what this is about. If, by God's grace, I can accomplish that with my wife, with my children, with my friends, with my family who listen, with random strangers here and there who just needed someone to give a little perspective on something that nobody else is talking about or nobody else has the courage, everybody else is afraid to lose their funding, their big donor contributions over 
everyone else is afraid of getting voted out or ostracized or blacklisted or whatever. You know what? One of the things that God has given me is a day job where I am not dependent on the donors. Not that I would turn down their donations, (laughs) but I won't be bought. And I haven't been. And that's maybe perhaps why God has allowed me to say and see and know some of the things that he has. But if he has, how can I keep that quiet? How can I bury that in a field? I can't. I can't. I can't and I won't. So help me God. That's all the time I've got. It's a Saturday morning. I got to run. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.